Hey everybody, welcome to the Hope Young Adults podcast, where we help young adults grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm David Hurst, and this episode is about how our identity is shaped by the voices we listen to in life. In this episode, Matt Curtis breaks down how listening to God's voice can unleash our true identity. This talk comes from our January night of worship. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hey, gang. Super excited to be back with you tonight. Melissa Smith is here. Madison's here. David Hurst made that video. He's here, and he picked his girlfriend's name out, his fiance's name out of a drawing. That's awesome. So glad that we happened uh, to do that. Man, give it up for those. Let those guys know how much you appreciate them. They are uh, worship leaders. Uh, they, I've been reading through a lot of the Old Testament and the way Israel was required to come into the presence of God and what that looked like and the the sacrifices and the offerings and the chickens and the goats and all those things they had to bring to come to the presence of God, which was a burning flame with wind and fire and all that. And these guys lead us into that place. They lead us into the presence of God. I'm just so thankful uh, for all of them. It's been great. Uh, the last time, we, my name is Matt. Hey, how are you? Uh, I put some pictures in this slideshow that we're not actually going to use, so I'm going to go ahead and say, hey, can we see a picture of my wife? She's here tonight. Um, so it's, it's coming at some point. Jillian is here. She is a mother. That's her at Disney World. She wants to be a Disney blogger. It's probably not going to happen. And then we also have uh, pictures of my kiddos. Both of them have glasses. That's Henry. If you've seen Jerry Maguire and you think that kid's cute, he's not. That kid is freaking cute. Uh, and then Cohen, Henry just broke his glasses. That's Cohen with the laser tag. Uh, so I was going to use those for a story, but now I'm not. But I feel like I need to show them to show honor and respect to my family. Y'all should uh, get married and have kids. It's pretty sweet. Um, well, the last time we were together, we talked about a conversation that Jesus had in Luke with the Pharisee, with the lawyer. And in that conversation, uh, the Pharisee, the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Hey, teacher, uh, what does a man need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say, lawyer? And the lawyer says, well, the law says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And we spent our time uh, talking about loving your neighbor. What does that mean? The, the lawyer says, well, what do you mean by my neighbor? Like, let's really get to the steps. What are my action steps to get to eternal life? What do I need to be doing? Practically, what does it look like for me to get to an eternal life, get to heaven? What do I need to be doing actively? And he jumped into the action step. Practically, what does it mean? Who's my neighbor? How do I love? And so did I. That's what we were talking about. And we totally gloss over. I told you are victim to this. I glossed over, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, just like the Pharisee did. That part, the relational part, doesn't matter. Loving the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's easy, right? Loving God, love God, love people, that's easy. People are complex. Have you seen Facebook? People are complex, and it's hard to love people. Loving God, he's always there. He's an anchor. He's there. He's faithful. He's there. So I, as a 38-year-old man who has the title of a pastor, has a wife, has children, like I should be competent enough to know what it means to love the Lord God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, and all of my might, all of my mind, all of my time, all of my passion, all of my compassion, all of my energy, all of my moments, all of my seconds, all of my days, months, years, all of the dreams that I have in my life, all the visions that I have, all the purpose that I have. I should know what it means to love the Lord God with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
shouldn't I? It's like that, the uh, gif or the meme where like the meteor, 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 meteor. I don't know. It just deflates into this place where like, I'm not sure that I really get it. I'm not sure that I really get what it means to love the Lord God with all of my whole self. I'm a complicated individual. My wife will tell you that. Nearly anybody who meets me, I'm a simple man. I wear the same clothes all the time. I got this jacket for Christmas. I haven't taken it off since. Uh, like, that's just how I function. I eat the same thing for dinner unless I'm having, uh, you know, a lot of chocolates and bread and mayonnaise and stuff. Other than that, I'm eating the same thing. I have the same routine. I'm a simple man. But inside, I'm complex. I'm emotional. I'm passive. I don't want to engage these things. I don't want to judge. I do judge. Like, it's just all conflicting inside. And I should know, me, I should know what it means to love the Lord God with all of my whole self when really my whole self is just this complicated person. And I haven't quite figured out my whole self yet. I haven't figured out what my wounds are. I haven't acknowledged that I have wounds. And that puts me in a place where I am in an identity crisis. And I submit to you, my friends, my young adult friends, that the core issue of humanity and the issue of the gospel is when man questions God's authority and our identity. It's huge. It's throughout Scripture. We will continue to talk uh, about the Bible at every one of these events, and every time there will be an issue raised where man questioned God's authority and our identity. I'll give you two examples. First, way back in the beginning. Anybody start a Bible reading plan, January 2021? Maybe you read this. It happened in the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve, you've heard of them. Father Adam, Mother Eve, they're created. They're given authority over everything. Name all the animals. Uh, don't touch the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. And in slips this snake, this serpent, this devil, this voice, this external voice that says, did God really say don't eat from that tree? Surely you will not die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And boom, instantly the conflict enters the stage. Man questions God's authority and his identity. I'm going to give you another example. That's an external voice. The serpent is an external voice, internal. Anybody read Ruth? It's great. It's four chapters. It's short. It's story. It's, it's interesting. It's like streaming something on Netflix. It's got a beginning and an end. Like there's not a whole lot of law and stuff like that. So tonight when you go to bed, read Ruth. Ruth and Naomi live in Bethlehem. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. Uh, Ruth and Naomi are in famine. There is no food in Bethlehem. They cannot survive in Bethlehem. So they leave Bethlehem to go and find food. They take their whole family, Naomi and her husband, Ruth and her husband, uh, Ruth's or Naomi's other son and his wife, and they all go and they leave the people they know, where they're from, what they know, what they're familiar with, and they go to a place to where they can find food. It's very pandemic-y feel, like get out of whatever this uncomfortable situation and go find something so you can thrive. And when they go to the place that they're going so that they can thrive, bad things happen. Naomi's husband and Naomi's two sons die. They fall sick and they are dead. Well, Naomi and Ruth have no place to go. So they go back to Bethlehem where there's still a famine, uh, but that is familiar to them. And upon returning, Naomi shows up and everybody in town, hey, Naomi, Naomi's back. Naomi was gone, now she's back. She's so great. 
little insight, Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasantness. The whole time these people she grew up around saw her, they thought she's pleasant. She was the one on Facebook not posting how and where low your mask needs to be on your face, and she's not posting Alex Jones theories, and she's not being political at all. She's showing pictures of the kibosh she made. She's showing pictures of her puppy dog. Like, Naomi is pleasant. She is known for her pleasantness. Upon her return, while everybody says, girl, what's up? Pleasant is back. Naomi says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. My name is Mara. Mara means bitter because God is bitter for me. Because I have gone through this thing. I have lost. I am grieving. God is mad at me and he's bitter at me. The circumstances in Naomi's life allowed her to change her identity. She changed her name from I am pleasant to I am bitter. And that is part of the conflict that all of us go through. We allow circumstances to uh, affect the way we see ourselves. We allow circumstances to impact our relationship with the Lord. We allow external voices to chirp in. I feel like I'm spitting everywhere. Chirp in and tell us what we should think and how we should behave and what expectations we should have. And it's an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. We don't know who God is in that. And we question those things Deeply, It's a part of our own growth process. It is a human experience to struggle with identity. Uh, Eric Erickson, we got some psychologists in the room. I know that. You're all a bunch of nerds. It's great. There's one right there. Uh, Eric Erickson was a, a psychologist. Is he dead? I think he's dead. And uh, he's, he developed the eight stages of life. In each of these eight stages, he said there is a virtue or a value that we are working towards. So like you, there's a psychological crisis that goes on in an infant, and that infant is working towards the value of hope. There's a crisis that a three-year-old is going through, working out in his person, in his identity, and he's working toward the virtue of the value of will. In adolescence, this is significant, in 13 to 21-year-olds, there is a, a crisis that is going on for where do I fit in this world? They're working for the value or the virtue of fidelity. Where do I fit? What am I loyal to? What do I belong to? What am I going to do? What do I believe? Where do I fit? Where am I accepted? That is the thing that Adela, every ad, there's no consequence. No, I mean, it is great marketing that our student ministry's logo or slogan is you belong here because they are pursuing relationships with a generation of people who are trying to figure out somebody who will accept them for who they are, something to be loyal to, something to believe in, and something to commit to. And I think in the same spiritual cycle of life, there's still that identity thing. I think a lot of us become Christians. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our future. Jesus is always there. He's present. But we really don't dive deep into understanding our identity through who Christ is or through who Christ says we are. We allow voices, even as believers, we allow voices to speak into, well, we still need to have goals. We still need to have dreams. We still need to accomplish things. Or even in the church, are you doing the things you're supposed to be doing? Are you acting like a Christian? Are you being nice to people? Are you reading your Bible? Are you showing up to church? Are you going to a small group? Did you pray this morning? Did you have a quiet time? In the Old Testament, do you think quiet time existed? I don't, I don't. That's not, I'm just curious. Does anybody, like, when did quiet time start? In the 80s? Everything cool started in the 80s, so I'm told. Uh, but intimacy is, is, is part of that, right? We are seeking intimacy with the God. How else will we know how to love our Father with our God, our Savior? How will we know him 
if we don't seek intimacy with him, and we, like the Pharisee, jump to, well, who's my neighbor, and how do I love, and what does this look like practically, and we forsake this relationship, we forsake intimacy with God and what that looks like. And all the while, Jesus, who bore the cross and came down off of it and stepped out of a grave and sees every bit of your baggage and says, yeah, I love you. And I know you. Are you listening to my voice? So that's what we're talking about tonight. John 10, it's a lot of text. I'm going to read a bunch of it to you. A lot. It's 18 verses. I don't I'm not a great reader, so hang on. Uh, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Jesus is always poking with the Pharisees. Like, they're always challenging him, but he's always kind of making fun of them. Uh, It's always, like, pay attention when you're reading the Bible and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees because he's going to make fun of them somehow. Uh, Very very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper comes, uh, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what was going on. So understand this one about the Pharisees. Uh, These Pharisees aren't farmers. Pharisees are very academic. They follow the tradition of their father. They have been born, raised, and lived under the law. They can very clearly explain to you why you don't boil a goat in a mother's milk, whatever that means. Uh, They know why. If they see you do that, they will let you know. These are the same people who saw Jesus healing people on the Sabbath and were like, whoa, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. It's Sunday. You're not supposed to be doing anything, Jesus. Like they live by the law. Legalism came from these guys. They know everything you're supposed to be doing. They don't know what a sheep smells like. Like they have not been in the pen. And Jesus is using a metaphor for the simple man. And it's so simple that they actually don't get it. Because these aren't your blue collar guys. But in explaining who the shepherd is, he says, uh, the sheep know them, they, the sheep know the shepherd by his voice. They will not follow another voice. So before we move on, the question is, or how many voices are you listening to? What are you giving authority to in your life? What voice is telling you? Is it your own? Is it your own opinion of your own self, your own shortcomings or where you should be or what you should be doing? Is it external voices whispering, letting you know who God really is? When really you aren't that connected to who God really is. Moving on. Jesus doubles down. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate. So this is where he's just like sharing the gospel with them, trying to get them to understand that he is the way. So let me get it, Pharisees. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. So he is even calling out the tradition that they have. Like their fathers, the Pharisees' fathers were all about the law. They were all about knowing everything about it. And if you do that, live by it, then you are deemed righteous and you're holy and you will have all that you need to have. And Jesus comes in and says, that's not it. Whatever your fathers taught you is not it. I am the gate. I am the way. And he has a relationship intimately with sheep. 
He has a relationship intimately. He goes after them. There, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. We will come back to that. That's significant. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, the part where he says they will come in and go out and find pasture, that's significant. That reminds me of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anything. I have no needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He lays me down by green pastures. He leads me by calm waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, of death, of comparison, of expectations that are not met, I will fear no evil. The sheep to shepherd relationship is the intimate relationship that Christ is calling us into. Are we going to listen to his voice? Are we going to give power to the voices around us? Are we going to listen to the shepherd's voice and know it intimately? Are we going to listen to ourselves, the dissatisfaction that we have inside of us? I'm going to keep going. A little bit more text. The hired hand, so this is like a third party. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and does not care for the sheep. Have you given authority to a voice in your life that absolutely does not care, that will abandon you in a time of need, that will not protect you like a shepherd should? Just as the Father, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock, one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. So he is speaking directly to us. He is speaking directly to what an intimate relationship should look like. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just like I know the father and the father knows me. Intimacy is a hard thing to come by. I got married uh, May 20th, May 20th, uh, 2012, double thumbs up. All right, May 20th, 2012 uh, to Jillian Michelle Olovio. And what they don't tell you about weddings, what they don't tell you about when two Christians get married is that it is a supernatural event. Didn't expect it. I knew my friends were going to be there. I knew my family was going to be there. I knew there was going to be a dirt cake because that's my favorite. Um, But during the ceremony, as you're like embracing and trying to take it all in, there's a supernatural thing that happens and you feel it. I felt it. You feel it? You feel it. (laughs) Because it's the bonding of two souls, of two becoming one. And we've been married nearly nine years now. When Jillian calls me, she doesn't say, hey, Matt, this is Jillian. I know the sound of her voice. I also have, you know, it says her name. (laughs) But we are dependent on one another. 
We are faithful to one another. We're fruitful together. But just because we got married on that day and there was a supernatural event, it wasn't the maximum intimacy we had. Every day we have to work towards intimacy. And I will tell you, I am bad at it. I'm bad at intimacy on a bunch of levels. Like I have, I grew up in a home where if you were doing things, if you were obeying the rules, if you were doing your chores, if you're not making a bunch of racket, you're doing great. And I carry that into my marriage. So if I'm doing the dishes, then there is no other way I could express my love more to my wife. Like I am doing things for her that she is not willing to do. In that same way, I take that into my relationship with God. If I'm doing things for the king of the universe who loves me through my wounds, then that's when we're okay. And the minute I stop doing things that he would approve of, he's disappointed in me and he hates me. And these things are just not true. Intimacy is hard. And we live in a culture where we assume competence and intimacy. We've never been more connected. Our networks are huge. Our social support's supposed to be there. But we're also in this weird pandemic on top of already being totally isolated and completely individualistic. Like, consider, do you have anybody who knows your wounds in your life? Have you opened up and shared what you were suffering right now? Have you ever shared what you're proud of yourself with anyone? Intimacy is a difficult thing, but we are wired for intimacy. You were born, you were put on this earth for intimacy with your creator. There is no other reason not one person in this room was born other than intimacy with his or her creator. And in that same way, we are created to have intimacy together. We are created to know and be known. I don't know if you're into like the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs tests, if you're into, what's the other one, the Strengths Finders, I like that one. Uh, but each of those tests, you sit down, you answer 80 questions, and it tells you, oh, this is who you are. You're passive. You could be a little lazy. You're very nice, though. Like, no matter what you put into the computer, it's going to tell you what you want it to put. You're going to answer questions. It's going to tell you. But then we feel absolutely known when we read it. When we read A Road Back to You or whatever the Enneagram book is, we go, this is my chapter. This is who I am. I've never felt more known than by an author who wrote a book following an algorithm, and nobody actually knows me. And it's dangerous and it's scary, but we trust those systems. We trust those systems to tell us who we are. We don't trust the author, the creator, the one who knew us in our womb to tell us who we are. See, with all of those tests, all of those, and I'm not demonizing them. I absolutely love them. The Enneagram has changed the way I love my wife. It's been good. She's a seven. That means she likes sparkles and doesn't want to talk about emotions. So, so glad you're here, Joe. <laughs> uh, but each of those tests just kind of follow this idea that you're either left brain or right brain. The left brain person is going to respond this way. The right brain person is going to go that way. The left brain person is more analytical. The right brain person is more creative. The left brain person is more data driven. The right brain person is more artsy. The left brain person is more black and white logic and reason. And the right brain person is more expressive. But the truth of the matter is, is that each of us are left and right brain. We're a combination of all of these things. And that's how we relate to each other. And the right side of our brain is where our identity really sits. And every bit of information, every word that comes out of my mouth is being processed through your brain, through who you see yourself as. 
And so many of us see ourselves through things we've done in the past or things we're going to accomplish. And we process information either defensively, passive-aggressively, already responding, how can I fix this? How can I do this? And we're not trusting the creator who loves us through our wounds, through our mistakes. And it makes for a sour relationship that doesn't grow. So here's the challenge. In coming to a place where we could love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our brains have to be rewired. We are a new creation in Christ. And in our flesh, in our nature, we turn everything into, I can fix this, I can solve this, I'm not enough. I've got likes and Instagram things that I need to prove myself. I need to influence others. I need to gain more. I need to grow my network. I need to grow my LinkedIn. I need to get into this program. I didn't go to the right school. I don't have enough money. I don't look right. I've got too many curls, fat curls. That's what I call them, curls, not these kind of curls. (laughs) And we process relationships. We process the relationship from God through that lens of who we are. But this is the challenge. The word of God is God breathes. The spirit is from him. And God will change and rewire our minds to receive that information and then live it out. So we will stop seeing ourselves as unknown, that we can walk into a room, nobody really knows me. I'm unnoticed. I'm unappreciated. And we can start to experience relationships both with the Father and with one another through Jeremiah 1.5 that says, I have known you since you were in your mother's womb. If you've ever been abandoned or depending on what your relationship with your parents is, if you ever felt like you have not had a place, what if you processed relationships with both the Father and each other with John 1.12 that says you have been given the gift of being called a son or a daughter of God. You have a place to be. If you've ever identified through your circumstances what you've been through, a victim mentality, or maybe you're just tired. What if your identity was rooted in Romans 8, 28 that says everyone, everything, everything, God works everything out for the good of those who love him. Imagine when you hit a wall and you bear nothing but shame and guilt. And all you can really think through is the spiral that maybe you were even currently in, trying to dig yourself out of if you really began to trust in the truth that comes out of Ephesians 1-7 when Paul writes that you are redeemed. You're not wasted. There is hope. And it's in the Father. It is in the Father who sent the Son. And after the Son comes and we trust in him, there is a spirit who equips us to do the works that we can walk in. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe when you look in the mirror, you could list off everything you hate about yourself. I don't like my hair, my nose, my teeth are crooked. I got a weird mark right here on my head. My head's gigantic. I can't grow hair. Ephesians 2 says that I am made in God's, I am God's handiwork. 
Psalm 139 says that I am beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. Song of Solomon says that you, my darling, my beloved, I love and there is no blemish. If that's my identity, and I'm not constantly trying to prove to somebody that I have value, that I have worth, including myself, it is so freeing. And I can stand in God's truth and in his grace. And if that's where I'm standing and I am rooted in who I am in Christ, I am rooted in who the Father says I am, then there's no barrier that can't be broken by the love of God. There's no anchor that can hold me down. There's no chain that I'm going to be tied to. No matter what habit I'm stuck in, what addiction I have, what I hate about myself, what I see in the world, and I'm just caused to go into like an anxious cycle of nervousness and no control. There is one God and one flock, and I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And these are the things that can rewire our brains. So I don't have, for this message, I don't have, this is what you need to do. I am telling you this as somebody who was thrown for a loop in 2020, could not find a place to stand. I would wake up and I, here's a new week, we're going to get with God. It's going to be close. And I just would feel more and more disconnected. And the harder I tried, the further it felt like I was getting from the Lord. We weren't having church, but we're having church, and there's relationships there. By God, I'm a pastor, and I still don't know who I am in Christ. That comes with a certain sense of, you're failing at this, and everybody knows it. You're an absolute fraud. I'm not stepping into that this year. I'm being willing to come to a place to start at the basic and know grace has been bestowed on me, And God wants to know me deeply. And that requires me to find out who he says I am and to lean into that. There's three ways that I'm doing that. I'm binging the Bible. That sounds stupid. uh, I'm trying to get through the Bible in 40 days. Number 40 is significant in Scripture. It's a season of testing. Right? So there was somebody named something that took 40 in the Bible. You bunch of nerds. Somebody's got one. It rained for 40 days. Jesus. Yeah, there we go. There's some 40, like 40, 40 years. Israel, for, they wandered for 40 years. There we go. There's some 40. So uh, I was going to start a Bible reading plan, but of course, those one-year Bible reading plans, I start looking at them about the 7th, and I'm already behind, and I'm not going to make time things up. Uh, But understanding that the number 40 is a season of testing also means that the number 40 is a season of change. Change is coming. So I'm seeking after that in my own life. I invite you to jump into it. And I'm just taking in a bunch of Bible. I'm not sitting and reading 40, 30 chapters a day of the Bible because I'm a slow reader. Uh, I wake up, I turn the app on, I listen. And sometimes I zone out and sometimes I pay attention, but God is using his word to firm me up, to root me in who he says I am. There's other ways you can do that, but his Bible, his word is God breathed and it transforms. It is for us to know who he is and know who we are. 
So that's number one. Number two, community absolutely matters. And maybe you've been a part of a great small group or growth challenge group or whatever, uh, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never felt comfortable with a group of people. Maybe you've never shared with uh, anyone what you're really struggling with or what you're keeping total secret or what you're hiding, not from everybody, but from God himself. Like maybe you've never been to that place. And I encourage you, I encourage you deeply to keep looking for it. Keep going after community because God changes us. He reveals things to us through one another. There is a, this is my last science thing because I should never be talking about science, uh, at least with any kind of authority. But um, they can scan, I wrote it down, hold on. The prefrontal frontal cortex is the fastest moving part of your brain, right? In the prefrontal cortex, if they scan, they used a really big scan because my head's giant. They used a big scanner and scanned my brain. And then I went and had a conversation, a relationship with somebody, and I shared weakness, things I'm struggling with, and I was accepted and loved through that. They scanned my brain again. My brain, there is evidence that my brain is being rewired, that God works through us being vulnerable. That speaks directly to 2 Corinthians 5.9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we start sharing the things that we hide, when we start being honest and open, and that's where intimacy comes from. When we stop fraudulently trying to prove to one another that we're good Christians or that we're good people or that we're smart or we're accomplished or we have enough money or we have the right goals, whatever that stuff is, when we put that stuff away and start focusing on the things that matter, sharing our weaknesses and also receiving other people, loving other people who share their weakness and not judging but loving and accepting, then and only then can our brains be rewired. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Community renews our mind. But the last thing is, and Tommy talked about it, rest. Be still. And know that I am God. These guys are going to come back up. They're going to sing one last song. They're already here. Paul's here. Paul's here, guys. Yeah, give it up for Paul. But I would encourage you, not just in this song, I would encourage you to start in that place. When was the last time you just sat? You just shut it down. Turned the phone off, the TV, whatever. The music just turned it all off. And you listened to what God has to say about you. There's not a 12-step program for this. This is essential. If we're ever going to be a people that love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it starts with shutting it down, listening and believing that he is God and hearing what he reveals, responding to what he reveals to us, being desperate that he would reveal more to us. Once we are rooted in our identity in Christ, then and only then can we truly be dependent on who God is. And when we are dependent on who God is, then and only then will we be faithful people. There is a difference in having faith in Jesus and the work of the cross and being faithful. And once we, our identity is in Christ, we are raised with Christ. We see ourselves the way God sees ourselves, sees us. We become dependent on him. We become faithful. 
then we become fruitful. And that's when we reach the triangle and God decides to change the world. So they're gonna sing one last song. I would pray that you lean into it. Lean into what God's saying to you, about you. Start acknowledging or identifying what those other voices are because we have a good shepherd who went into the pen, sought us out, humbled himself to death on a cross, was died, walked out of the grave, comes to you and says, yeah, this one's the one I love. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, head over to gethope.net slash youngadult. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so we can stay connected.